This is the Labour Housing Podcast. Welcome to the second Labour Housing Podcast, coming to you live from Liverpool at Labour Party Conference. Today we're talking about Grenfell and the incredible response from the community from the moments after the fire right through until today. So today we're going to be talking about Grenfell, one of the most horrific events that happened to this country um, for generations that that happened last year. I am so pleased that we've got some people around the table who have incredible experience and can talk to us about what's happened and what hopefully will happen in the future to stop such a horrific fire happening again. So firstly we've got Emma Dentcode who is one of my co-2017 intake uh, Labour MP for Kensington with a history in um, kind of architectural research and journalism, so you know about this area. So thank you, Emma, for coming. I've got Jackie Haynes, who is chair of the Lancaster West Residents Association and kind of leading the community's voice um, for change and for doing things differently. And it's a real honour to have you on this podcast. Thank you, Jackie. And I've also got Nat Barker, who writes for Inside Housing and uh, has been following um, with great detail and with great skill, actually, what's been going on since the fire and uh, what's been going on in particular with the inquiry and what might happen next in terms of policy change. So thank you, Nat, for Thanks very much coming. for having me. So let's just start with, with you, Emma. You'd, you'd obviously just become the MP. Yes. And we're talking days later. Four days. Um, how how did you you know what, how did you cope with such a huge responsibility on your shoulders uh-huh. when this thing happened? How I, I can't begin to imagine. I was a new MP as well, and it mm. shocked us to the core. Yeah. How did you cope with with, with what happened? Uh, well, I had I had a lot of help around me. Um, people who immediately stepped forward to to support me and the community. Some of them were from the community because I've lived there for 30 odd years and know half the neighbourhood really. Um, So I had a lot of help immediately. Um, It was horrible but I was, despite it being so horrific, I was pleased that it was me who was there Mm. because um, I know so many people there and I was trusted and that makes a yes. massive difference at, a, at an event like that. Yes, and you're a so local councillor, aren't you? I'm a local so councillor, I still am a local councillor, I restood to keep an eye on the council. Um, so uh, I've been around for a long time, so all the local parents who, whose children have been at school with my children and from church and all the different all, things that we've done over the years. Um, so I know hundreds of people have known me too. Um, it was um, absolutely horrendous. I was really glad it was me um, because, yeah. as I said, um, uh, I'm a familiar face, and um, yeah, uh, yeah. Having a local person, it, it does make a huge difference, doesn't it? It does it make does. a massive and, difference. And you've been, and you know, such a um, uh, you've had such grace in Parliament, standing up and, and talking about things that are very difficult, and oh. um, and you've done it so well and represented oh, people you. so so well. Um, Jackie, you first moved to the estate 40 years ago? I did. I grew up on the Lancaster West Estate. <laughs> and your family were one of the first 
one of the first to move in. Yeah, yeah. on the Hurstway Walk. Yeah, and who was who who was that? Was that your my parents? Your parents. Okay, and you live there now, and you're the chair of the residents' association. D- describe to me the residents' association. Is it a, a big organisation? Is it an active organisation? What what does it well, do? It's a small organisation of maybe ten people at the moment, which really didn't have a lot to do with us prior to that but obviously now it's the work that we do is paramount in making the change and helping our residents through the recovery. Mm, mm. And when um, the fire happened in those first few days I wonder if both of you could kind of talk through what was the what was the structure the support what was Mm. there for the survivors? Well that's yeah Um, for the for the first few days and I'm sure Jackie will support me in this there wasn't there was no support but what happened was that immediately all the local campaign groups that was one of the first things happened local campaign groups have been arguing about all kinds of issues about regeneration so on they all knew each other they were already networked and they just set up whatsapp groups and were, were doing a lot of organizing of stuff and people and looking after people and finding spaces where they could look after people mm. and then there were various resident associations and so on other groups church groups um, the mosque and so on who also networked mm. Uh, mm. and came together yeah. and I didn't see you know there's been a huge debate about this where was the council where was the council and they said oh we were there I didn't see anybody I know a lot of people who work for the council I'm sure Jackie does too I didn't see anybody at all the only person I saw from the TMO was somebody who lived there anyway and he was help, out there helping because he was a neighbour right. not because he, he'd been called upon by the TMO I also know people all over London who phoned in from other councils housing officers and so on who called in and said, oh, you know, let us come and help you. And the council were refusing. And uh, I mean, that's on record that they were refusing help from other councils until Gold Command came in. Right. Well, to, I mean, to our knowledge, they were holed up in a church on the first couple of days and wouldn't come out. Um, probably holed up so they could be there to say that they were there, but that nobody came out to us. Well, there was no sign of any officials trying to put things right. On the actual estate itself in the first few days, it was it was absolute mayhem. We had people who were bereaved, people who were screaming for their family, and to stand and watch people dying in front of your eyes and screaming for help and having no way of helping or doing anything about that was so soul destroying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was just the, for us, we had to take the power and we just decided we have to do this. We had lots of support coming in, as Emma said, from different pressure groups and people dropping donations and people who were just our friends and family. Mm. But in those first three days, it was totally the community that had to rally together. We had to get our vulnerable people out of the, out of the nearby homes and get them to other neighbours. Yes. We had to make sure that people were getting food the children were running around I mean we were evacuated immediately but evacuated with nowhere to go they didn't evacuate you and say you need to go here they just simply shut the doors and told us we couldn't go back in into the estate itself and so we had a whole estate in a community sitting outside and looking at what on earth we are going to do now because Mm -hmm. our building is still raging our community is displaced and nobody is here. And and there was this process, wasn't there, Emma, where, as you said, Gold Command sort of kicked in mm. and, and and there were other boroughs that then were mm. brought in to support. Did, yeah. did things sort of 
start to have a bit of structure at that it, point? It, which it took leadership. a while. I mean, there was, the thing is that they, were, they, they, they then inherited utter chaos. If they'd come in right at the beginning, they could have, they could have um, actually mobilised and, and coordinated all the different groups on the ground who were already working or willing to work. But when they, when they arrived, there was already a network of people doing things and they then had to try and organise that, which is much more difficult. Yes. So uh, with the best will in the world, and I went to visit Gold Command and they were doing good work actually, but they came into something which was an almighty mess. Yes. Horrendous. Yes. Absolutely horrendous. And obviously we saw the Prime Minister stand up and, you know, stand up in Parliament and Secretary of State and say, we must make sure this never happens again. We need to look after the people. We're going to house them in permanent housing within 12 months. They're yeah. going to be in temporary housing, you know, within weeks. Oh, three what, weeks. How, yeah. did, how did that play out? What happened well, in terms that's, of... I mean, we've got... They, they put out figures. Um, the council uh, put out figures regularly. Those are not the true figures. It's it's normally about double what they say, because they only look at people from the tower and um, and Grenfell Walk. Right. Um, they don't um, account for the walkways at all. So all those people come to us. Yes. Um, and they don't put them on the books because they they've changed the classification of who are survivors and who aren't. Right. Which is very dodgy. But um, any time they say, well, we have uh, at the moment on our books, eighty three households, not people, households. They'll say tenant. But actually, it's a household. Yeah. Eighty-three um, households from Grenfell Tower and um, and the walk and walk um, who are homeless, um, and uh, in addition, eighty from the walkways. So that's one hundred and sixty-three households. Mm. Some households maybe have one or two people, and some may have a, a whole family and maybe a granny. Um, so uh, the figures they put out are not accurate. Mm. Um, and it's the, the households from the walkways who are being kind of threatened with having to pay for rent. Whether or not that's their intention, it is terrorising mm. people. Um, and I've had people in, in my surgery who have really been through enough. Yeah. They have really been through enough. And some people um, who, um, who have been refugees, they come from their home countries where they've had a horrendous time, because we hear a lot of those stories. Um, and they've arrived over here and made their life here. They've then been through the hideous thing that happened on their doorstep, um, and they're now being re-traumatized yes. by the council. So yes. they have said, "Don't, don't, don't. You know, we won't have any more to do with the council. You know, my office does it for them." Yeah. They say the the actions of the council are re-traumatizing yeah. them, and that is unforgivable. Yeah. So we've got some families that are still in temporary accommodation. Some are still in hotels. Some, are, some still are in, in temporary hotels, accommodation. Which is extraordinary given yeah. the time that has gone past. Yeah. Some of the homes that the council bought were not fit for They're purpose. So, some of them needed a lot of work done. So they hadn't really assessed them properly. Yes. They hadn't assessed people's needs. I mean, yes. there was something on, on Taylor when where uh, the head of housing went into a flat. She went storming up a, a very steep flight of stairs. Um, into a first floor center. Look, this flat is lovely. Wouldn't you like to live here? But actually, not thinking that anyone with a bad knee, a baby, a double buggy, could not use their stairs mm. to start with, and they ha with no thought at all yeah. of the people who lived there, because yeah. there was a disproportionate number of people with some kind of physical disability, or because they're elderly, or whatever it may have been, yeah. Yeah. and people with children. Yeah. So, okay. really, not thinking for a moment. What's a lot of homes say, what was yeah. suitable for these people? And, and um, that, sorry, that's been the issue from the beginning. As Emma was saying about the Gold Command, Gold Command came in with this 
panic plan because although the government had people living in those unsafe risky conditions they hadn't written a plan for if anything had happened and they came in with what we was, were calling a one-size-fits-all service yeah. whereby they were just sending support workers who had no power to affect anything and had to always phone back and get authorization for mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. all, all of all of the, the stuff they put in was just the same for everybody there was no emphasis on whether on the individual and how what was happening might be suitable or not suitable for yeah. the individual yeah. and that's why many well a few of the residents were actually had to be taken onto the gold command so that they could advise because we otherwise we would have just had to send them away yeah with the the housing people were effectively feeling squeezed and forced out because you know obviously the council's agenda is to get those properties back to stop paying double rents but the way that they were doing it was putting in conditions that may, would squeeze you out as opposed to would you know find a way for you to make that transition yeah. and we we actually at the last scrutiny meeting we said that you, you cannot give a blanket date for all of those people no. some of those people will be unable to make that decision yeah. right now for, because for of as their long trauma. as it takes isn't it and yeah. and so we so we actually demanded that they assess people and look at people's individual needs yeah. before before putting a, bl a blanket ban because a blanket date means you'd have no consideration for that person or what their own individual yeah. needs are and you this just blanket want everybody day, out. Are, are you t are you talking about what the the, the council um, criticised last week because they gave an, an ultimatum to families evacuated from from homes in the surrounding area saying they have to return to their homes by the 22nd of October or face losing their tenancies yeah, is that right? there's stuff like that and then Which there's much more subtle ones where they, where by the 22nd, 20th of September they would then end up having to pay rent for the home that they're living in okay. and so obviously people living in social housing are not able to pay for two properties because of universal credit etc and then housing benefit nobody would honour them with finance for these two properties so basically it was fine money for both of these properties or you've got to go back oh yeah okay um let's bring in um nat now to talk about how the government have sort of set up the inquiry and uh, you know to try and look at actually what happened what what is the inquiry how does it how does it work who's running it so i guess the, the fundamental purpose of the inquiry is to establish facts surrounding the fire and to also deliver the legal process i.e. to hold the relative authorities to account. Um, it's being chaired by Sir Martin Mulbick who is just a, is a, a veteran judge. Um, um, I know that there has been some was co some controversy surrounding his appointment yeah. um, and under him, he has three uh, three expert assistants yeah. type things. So um, you've got Joe Montgomery, who is um, a, a, an ex civil servant who has kind of some expertise in um, housing, and he's really there to look at the community engagement process and how the tower was managed mm -hmm. by the council and the TMO. Uh, you've got uh, Joyce Redfern, um, who is a a local government veteran who's been chief executive of various councils um, she's looking at the work of the council and the TMO as well uh, and then you've also got Professor David Nethercott who is an academic at Imperial College London 
who is looking at the um, structural elements of the tower mm. um, and how those impacted on the fire. Um, and the inquiry is split into two phases. So phase one is Which about, we're on now. Which we are, yeah. Yep. We're about halfway, two thirds of the way through phase one. Phase one is about determining what the inquiry calls um, the, 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 um, the factual narrative. So that's essentially what's happened. So on agreeing what's exactly happened what happened Renfeld on the night, yeah. On yeah, 14th of June, 2017. So that's okay. about how did the fire start? How did it physically spread through the building? What was the response from the fire brigade and other emergency services? Um, all of that sort of thing. Yeah. So we're about halfway through that at this stage. We're, we're still um, hearing evidence from firefighters at the moment. And I think um, uh, from October, from the start of next month, we'll have evidence from survivors and, and families um, of the deceased and people yeah. directly affected by the fire. Um, so Jackie, would you be involved in that in that phase? Well, we would, yes, because um, many of us are core participants, okay. especially the You're people. You're a core participant. Yeah. What does that mean? It means we'll, we'll be a core participant in the inquiry because we were we were quite we were very much involved. Yes. We have the information really on exactly what happened in the days of the fire, before the fire, because we lived there, and the the response afterwards as okay. well. And would you be involved, Emma? Well, interestingly. Um, um, for the record, I've applied four times to be core participant, um, three times via the Labour Group of Councillors. Mm. Um, we, there was always one of us on the TMO over the years. I left in 2012 when they just agreed in principle to refurbish the tower, but they hadn't decided on any of the details. And my colleague, uh, Councillor Blakeman, who took over after me, um, who's a ward councillor in um, Nottingdale, um, and who was um, she was on the, on the TMO when those decisions were being taken? Well, I think there was a subgroup. I'm not really sure about the details of that. But um, so three times we applied as a labour group to be called participants and were turned down. Um, I then consulted my barrister and we uh, applied again for me as MP to be a core participant and I was turned down again. So four times, that means I have absolutely no say. So I can hand in information. People have asked me for information. I've handed that over. But, but I don't have. I know, which I find extraordinary because yeah. actually I have a lot of information about about the functioning of the TMO when I was there. Um, it was so dysfunctional when I was on it. We had to get an adjudicator in to deal with with issues within the board, um, and I could talk about that and a lot of things I could talk about. Yeah. So, uh, but, but I've been excluded. Be no, okay. I, I'm not called upon, okay. and um, I was told that I had nothing to add. That was what the judge said that I had nothing to add. So that's you know I I can't. Be involved, and I think that's uh, quite bizarre, really, as, as either councillor or MP, that um, that that would be the case. That's the case, yeah. exactly. But yeah. um, anyway, I should be following. Um, I couldn't bear to listen to the firefighters mm. and all the other things because it's just too painful, actually. But I will certainly be there as much as I can, when especially when community members are being um, questioned and. and uh, mm. Um, and uh, what an incredible community we have because it, you know the people who have come forward and become very vocal and articulate some people who say they're surprised at themselves and how they've come forward and started organizing and so on um, it is quite extraordinary and I said it, that somebody reminded me of this the other day when I when I won the, the seat when I the, the moment that I won after the three recounts yes. I came outside Kensington Town Hall and there was a huge group of people there waiting uh, with music and drums and heaven knows what um, 
And I said, completely spontaneously, I said, Kensington has spoken, never be silent again. Mm. And somebody said, well, you said that, Emma, 50 mm. months ago, and we haven't, have we? And so I thought it was really sweet. But um, the people who have stepped up, like Jackie, actually, and lots of other people um, who have taken things on board and the things they now know, mm. the things that they found out, the things that they're campaigning about, is extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary. And however much they try and keep the people of Latimer, Lancaster West down, it's not going to happen. No. And like I say, I mean, we, like Emma said, we really did surprise ourselves. I mean, a lot of us, you know, had have capacity, we were working in jobs, some have worked for local councils, some have worked for, you know, for local government. But this was just something we would never have envisaged having to do. I mean, personally, being the chair of a residents association that, that you know has had a national disaster, if somebody had said that to me, I'd have been like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> but you know, we didn't realise. Yeah. yeah, and, and you had and that to was be on that steep learning curve, and you've yeah. just had to deal with it. Yeah, but that was the crux because what happened was we realized we can do this we do we are just like them we are just as able as them yeah. we can you're do more this. able than them because yeah. you've got more life experience right. actually we've had to become housing experts political experts mental health experts community experts we've had to get with what they know in order to play their game so that we can can have a real chance in this what you've got to remember with the inquiry first of all are the intentions behind it when right, Judge Morbick and his team have all been personally handpicked by Theresa May, mm-hmm. we've re- they re- Grenfell recently got two independent members that they had to fight and they had to campaign to get those members. And so, if you really want to give people a fair chance, that isn't actually a very good example of showing it. Mm-hmm. When Morbick, Judge Morbick came he announced that we had one week for the terms of reference. One week for a community that had no idea what terms of reference were. We had no specialists helping us at the time. And, you know, he put that challenge. It was coming up to Perda. And, you know, it just, so he, they wanted to go on their holiday and just get, give us a week to submit something that we had no idea about. And it was a 20 minute argument where, you know, he, we explained they had specialists, they have people, they've already had a month to deal with whatever paperwork they had and make it look the way that they wanted to, yet they were coming in and giving us a month and we had to really grind him down to get one month. Yeah, I think there are serious concerns to be voiced about the process of the inquiry. Yeah, It's already behind schedule. So yeah. the, phase one was supposed to end in early November. Okay. It's now not supposed to end until the end of the year. Um, and, and then phase two starts, what happens uh, in phase two? Phase two, phase two is, about, um, is about establishing the, um, the role that was played by the refurbishment. The decisions that were made by the authorities um, i.e. the council and uh, the TMO. So in the run-up, not the fire, so the, the first phase is the fire itself and yeah. the second phase is what, what yeah. decisions were it's, made before. That is okay. the bit where it's, it, whose fault is it, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And, and what happens when they, when, do, when are they actually going to report and what happens at that point? Well, what we don't power know. do they have to... We, to don't, we don't know, well, I mean... We're um, hoping for an interim report, aren't we? We're hoping for an interim report, but this is another thing. The, that's another thing. That's there was supposed to be a... Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, as, as Jackie said, that there are two, um, uh, uh, there are two assistant commissioners who are kind of um, uh, 
people picked by the community but that was a real real struggle to mm -hmm. get those people there and it was ultimately a u-turn by Theresa May mm. to deliver those people and there are still there are still issues about whether the inquiry is uh, engaging with the people who mm. obviously are the most important stakeholders in it I think so for instance when the survivors are uh, questioned they won't be questioned by their own lawyers um, who are obviously the people who know their stories best mm -hmm. they'll be questioned by the inquiry's lawyers similarly uh, survivors lawyers and, and, and the bereaved lawyers they won't be allowed to cross-examine witnesses so witnesses can only be questioned directly by again the inquiry's lawyers you know, Theresa May said that this inquiry would leave no stone unturned. Yeah, I mean, no, it's outrageous. Really you know, the council is spending, or have already spent over three. I think it's about three and a half million on their legal fees. And really, you know, the survivors and buried and evacuees and all of those people and witnesses, um, they don't have a hope in how many of them have pro bono lawyers. Um, there's no legal fund for them, which some people have been talking about trying to put together a legal fund. Um, you know, they, they have absolutely no hope. Um, by the time they, the senior counsels, the decision makers um, are, are in that inquiry, they would have been um, trained how to react. Yeah. They'll be taught what to say. Um, they've got, as I said, uh, three million pounds worth of legal advice behind them. Um, and, um, you know, if, if they aren't questioned to the same degree that the firefighters were, which was absolutely heartbreaking, they really, really will be trouble I think yeah. uh, just uh, and very serious questioning about the fairness of the whole process I mean there needs to be this legal structure there needs to be this inquiry and I do feel like very repetitive when I say it and I'm sorry if people keep hearing it but for us the crime is in the policy and the policy makers are policing themselves and so I'm not entirely sure what the government's yeah. reason for this inquiry is you know is it about finding somebody else that you can blame some other way to drop it on somebody else but it's the policy that killed those people all along the way everybody who gives evidence contractors etc there's something in that policy whereby they were allowed to cut those corners they were allowed to do that to us and so we are we just going around in circles because the crime is written in that policy and everybody else how much to blame are there are they if that policy allowed them to do that mm. I think um, we'd, we'd um, wanted to, to talk more as well about the the longer term implications in terms of the whole system of how we build how things that how decisions are made why it is there's hundreds of blocks of flats that have flammable cladding on right now that the government isn't removing why people are being told they have to you know their leaseholders they have to pay for the removal of that cladding themselves there's a whole host of the kind of bigger issues but i think we're going to run out of time today because it's mm. it's it's so important to talk about the lo the local actually Absolutely. because it has fallen off the agenda a bit and and we have you know things move on and, and everyone's focused on brexit of course to, quite understandably decision making process Absolutely. and for me one of the things that has come out this year just by me asking for reports and so on the school that was built first which was built on part of half the park that belonged to the tower because if you built a tower you're supposed to have a lovely space around it that's the whole point but they built a school on on part of that and so the, the school was built certain architects and the client was the council um, and um, and then they 
because the residents were complaining quite right too that there's a school taking up their park and their, their place was leaking and cold and the heating kept breaking down. They were demanding some refurbishment um, and that was agreed. So when they built the school and then the same architects and the same client refurbished the tower. So the school, I, I've read the fire safety report, the school has mineral cladding and it was fitted immaculately and that's been tested. They then went next door and they made a certain number of decisions. So, you know, the decision makers, are, you're 100% right about the policy, Jackie, 100%. But the decision makers locally, they went from the school with one set of decisions and then they went to the tower and they decided, no, we're going to do it like this mm. instead. Mm. And the, the people are, must be held accountable for those decisions. So just to sort of round it up in terms of the inquiry that finishes we think well, we don't know we don't it know. could run well <laughs> into 2020, 2020. Could run beyond. and when they say x y and z are to blame what powers then what happens i mean that's kind of uncertain at this stage as well yeah i think i think it is of genuine concern the inquiry obviously needs to be very thorough but also i think haste is very important as well people how can people like Jackie, or people who are survivors of the fire, people who lost loved ones in the fire, how can they begin to gain any sense of closure until the inquiry has reached its conclusion? Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's already behind schedule. They took the whole of August off for some reason. Um, yeah. I think there there are issues there, and um, ultimately, that was for their benefit. It wasn't for the community's benefit. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, um, there will. I I would expect there to be um, a criminal process at the end of the inquiry um, but that is quite to a long way over the horizon yet and it remains to be, te and, to be seen how that plays out. And Jackie in terms of what you were saying which is really powerful about how you you know the community people that didn't know about housing policy or fire policy and you've had to upskill and you've had to stand up and step up what does this mean about how we should be doing community you know neighbourhood development in the future is there something good that can come from this which is actually about getting local people there's to be in charge there's lots of good that can come from it from this first of all we can show that it can be done by communities we are the experts on ourselves and we and people need to understand that yeah and we can shape our own future we when this happened to us simply because we didn't find out what was happening. We uh, we relied upon these people to be the experts, to, to know what to do to serve and protect us. And we also accepted to some point, to a quite a large point, the disempowerment of, no one ever does anything here, no one's even gonna care, no one's gonna help or support us, so it was just like, yeah. but, and that's how that happened, I think. And so now we realize how important it is that we understand everything that's going on around us, all of the policies that are being put in place with us in mind, because then we can we can turn that and use it on the people who make those policies. They profess to, to want equality, to want justice and safety for all, and those policies are supposed to make it look like they are. So once we understand them, we can turn them around and use them on those policy makers themselves. These are your policies, the ones that you've oppressed and disempowered us by. And so if these are the words we have, we have to work by, then put your money where your mouth is. Yeah.
Okay. We're going to have to end it there. Thank you so much to Jackie and Nat and Emma. This is going to be carrying on for, for years to come, but I think it's so important that we actually reflect from time to time on the people that live in the immediate area, the impact it's had on them, what's happening to them, and how can we fight for, for justice in the future. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you.